Welcome everyone to the Two Tongues Podcast. Consider this your invitation to join Kyle and Chris on a journey through our minds. Where we explore the questions that have fascinated us for as long as we can remember. Could anarchy actually work? Does God exist? And just how did the cosmos get here anyway? Let me be the Virgil to your Dante, the Sacagawea to your Lewis and Clark. Let's take the guided tour through the dark chambers of our unconscious, seeking answers to the most important and unsettled questions of our shared existence. Ready or not, here we go. Welcome back, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Two Tongues Podcast, your Wednesday episode, as promised. (coughs) Pardon me. All right, so you get another solo episode because it's Wednesday, and um, I think what I'm going to do is I'm just going to wrap up these essays that I've been reading to you. This is basically the last one on the list, so um, I might as well just read you this last essay uh, to remind you if you've forgotten the last few solo episodes we we did that were um, just reading essays, essays that I wrote when I first uh, was contemplating starting the podcast, trying to get my ideas together. Um, a lot of that stuff had to do with uh, the mystic experience and trying to make sense of it. And we've been through some interesting uh, stories, uh, you know, reading these essays together. Um, and I've got one left, so it'll be a short one, but I'm going to give it to you. Before I do, I, I want to mention it's it's never ceases to amaze me how many of the topics that I'm interested in overlap other ones. And so over and over and over again as I'm doing this, I'm reminded of things that are connected. It, it, it helps me to structure these podcasts, especially when Kyle and I get together, um, to kind of weave some kind of thread out of it. Um, and maybe it's because, you know, a lot of these topics are related, so you would expect them to kind of overlap in ways. But it just always surprises me. Um, what I mean this time around is I've been reading this David Chalmers book. I keep promising you I'm going to give you at least another episode here shortly. But um, what he's talking about <clears throat> is consciousness and trying to understand it and talking about what the problems are with consciousness. He's the guy that, uh, David Chalmers is the guy that coined the phrase, the hard problem of consciousness. And uh, we talked about that on the first episode that I did, but the idea is there's a weak problem and a hard problem. And the weak problem doesn't sound very weak when you start to get into it, but the idea is um, we have a problem that with lots of things we don't understand about how the brain works and how psychology works. Um, you know, what what the mind is exactly. Is it the same thing as the brain? It's not clear. Um, but the idea is that we could solve these weak problems. We could figure out what all the neurology is, you know, how the synapses fire, how they're connected, how they're associated with different states of, of consciousness, um, how they relate to our emotions, uh, memories, all that stuff, learning, language. And maybe we could learn to manipulate the brain in ways that, that uh, we could use that understanding to do all kinds of stuff, you know, to make us smarter, to, to cure our depression, to, you know, whatever. There's all sorts of interesting possibilities uh, that come from uh, neurology, cognitive science, you know, understanding the chemical and electrical processes that are going on in your brain. There's a lot of that we don't know. 
but we could learn it hypothetically. You know, over with enough time, we could learn it. The hard problem is actually going to sound a lot simpler, but it's a lot harder. And it's just explaining once you know all of the electrical and chemical business going on in the brain and how the whole mechanism works and how it's connected to your behavior and your memories and your dreams and all that stuff. Once you know all of those things, what you still can't explain is why any of those mental states are accompanied by consciousness. And I alluded to this before when I was talking about David Chalmers getting into this zombie thought experiment. It's like it's, it could be possible for you to display all the same behaviors as a human being, but there's nothing going on you know, uh, behind your eyeballs. It's all dark down there. Um, so that's the hard problem. So why is experience um, accompanied by a feeling? You know what it feels like to be a human being. It feels what? What is that? What does it even mean? Why is it necessary? Why is it there at all? If you can understand all of the mechanical stuff going on in your brain and in your body that allow that to happen, you would never guess that that those mechanistic, you know, actions are accompanied by an inner experience. That's the hard problem. The reason I bring that up is because it's connected to this essay that I'm going to read for you today. Um, there's a concept, a uh, similar concept to consciousness, something that's called emergence. And um, these philosophers and neuroscientists, what they try to say is something like this. That once we know more about how all of the chemical and electrical activity in the brain, this whole crazy network of infinite complexity, like once we learn more and more about it, that eventually what we're going to find is that consciousness actually emerges from this complex activity. What? I mean, it sounds good. It sounds smart. It sounds like that's something science might be able to do. David Chalmers absolutely rips that apart, this idea of emergence, uh, at least with consciousness. But the idea is something like that. It's like um, once you have a complex enough brain and it's doing complex enough things, then all of this crazy network of activity going on that's infinitely complicated, some, there's some magic in there that once that happens, it brings the creature alive. It, 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 it makes the creature aware. It makes it conscious. And it, it, it can boil all the way down to understanding this complex electrochemistry going on in your brain. That once you have enough of it, there's an explosion of new things, and consciousness is one of them. Um, so I don't know, and you know, maybe maybe that's a reasonable thing to say. David Chalmers doesn't think it is, um, but they but they break that idea of emergence down into hard emergence and, and weak emergence or strong emergence and weak emergence just like you've got the hard problem and the, and, the, and the weak problem of consciousness and it's all you know it's a philosophical rabbit hole you go down there it's it's confusing interesting but, but confusing and so the scientific hope and this is mostly coming from atheist types you know scientific you know hard-nosed types that don't want um, anything metaphysical that don't want to rely on any sort of god they think that uh, all we have to do is understand complexity well enough, and then we'll see how ma this magic emerges from it. It's the same argument for life, you know, how life came about. It's like, look, there were simple forms of, of, of life-like things that developed, you know, randomly or, or you know, whatever. And uh, 
after they became complicated enough, then suddenly they were alive, and you would call them alive. It's like, yeah, but that's not really an explanation, is it? It doesn't seem like it's an explanation for consciousness either, at least not a very good one, at least not with our state of knowledge today. Um, but it turns out, so reading all this Chalmers stuff and getting into this, um, this idea of emergence as a possible explanation for consciousness is related to this essay that I'm going to write or read to you today because, because what I suggested in it after having a mystic experience is that material reality is the thing that's emergent, right? It's not consciousness that's emergent. Consciousness is fundamental. It's reality. It's being. That's what emerges. It emerges from consciousness. So I'm kind of flip, flipping the, you know, the, the story on its head. I'm, I'm putting the cart before the horse on purpose here to look at it from a different direction. And I just think it's interesting that this essay, talking about consciousness and emergence, it just lines up really well with uh, David Chalmers talking about the same stuff in, in the book. So I'll get to that, I promise. Um, but without further ado, let me just read to you what I, uh, what I came up with. All right, essay the last, you guys. We'll move on to something else afterwards. Maybe David Chalmers, if we're lucky. Here we go. When we speak of being or material reality as the product of consciousness, we are strangely stuck in metaphoric language. It is difficult to imagine what the process or mechanism is that is itself pre-material and which brings material reality into being. Because, as we've said, this question lies beyond concepts. We cannot hope to understand it using any of the facts of the world. Even the language we must use is misleading. To say, for instance, that consciousness brings material reality into being supposes things which have no relevance and cannot actually apply to consciousness. Consciousness in its pre-material state cannot be said to exist in the world and therefore couldn't bring anything anywhere. Recognizing consciousness as the substance of being, we cannot even suppose a thing to exist outside of consciousness. How then can the only thing that exists be said to bring anything? And where exactly is it bringing it to when no place exists outside of itself? Now, analyzing the word bring shows this even more clearly. The ancient Proto-Indo-European, or Pi, root words from which we derive the English word bring are bear, which means to carry, and ink, which means to travel to a, to a, a destination or a new location. As can be seen, the notion of the pre-material substance of being carrying something somewhere, it's, it's illogical, it's, it's inconsistent, it's, it's really incomprehensible. So here, our intuition reads beyond the surface meaning of the word and recognizes that there could be a phenomenon that generates reality from a pre-material substrate. It is not clear if this phenomenon is the result of an act of consciousness or simply a dimension of consciousness itself. But in either case, 
its connection to consciousness remains. We outlined this phenomenon in our early discussion of projection and representation. In that discussion, we recognized projection as the prerequisite for experience and connected this to the concept of consciousness as that which experiences. The implication of this is that consciousness is somehow projected into being as material reality. All right, now, framing the phenomenon in the context of projection brings to mind images, at least for me, of a movie projector, a hologram, or even the sound of music like pumping through a speaker. In each of these cases, we observe what is called an emergent phenomenon. Images on the movie screen emerge from the light and slides in the projector, much like a rainbow emerges from a prism. In the same way, speech and music emerge from consciousness through the body or an instrument. This same conceptualization was given pride of place in our discussion of the being generator as the mechanism of material reality. You see, when we describe being coming from non-being as the consequence of its own self-experience, we are again speaking of an emergent phenomena. This is what the philosopher Heidegger refers to when speaking of being as a, quote, self-showing, or as something, quote, announcing itself as itself. In this way, non-being does not bring being into existence, but rather, being emerges from it. This idea of projection or emergence is an interesting one. In some ways, it seems like a symbolic placeholder for a phenomenon that can't be wholly captured in words. It seems to describe a process by which something tangible is inexplicably born from something intangible. We can imagine something being generated or emerging from something else. We can even imagine, as in the example of music, sound flowing into the world from the immaterial consciousness of the musician. Even in the realm of science, we see the idea of emergence as with electricity, which emerges from the flow of electrons, or magnetic fields which emerge from the interaction of opposing poles. We see here examples of something coming into being from something else, or from some interaction. This is what's meant by emergence. Connecting the concept of emergence to the structure which makes material reality possible begs the religious question. It puts the act of creation itself in the position of being emergent from God. Now, as it happens, you find this very concept residing historically at the very foundation of religious ideas. As linguists trace the development of European, Near Eastern, and Asian languages and examine their commonalities, they quickly discovered the so-called Proto-Indo-European root words, which connected languages as distant and diverse as Irish Celtic, Indian Sanskrit, and even ancient Persian. In this analysis, scholars quickly found the root words 
which connected not only these languages, but also the supreme gods of many of the people of Europe and Asia. The root words in the Pai language was Dius Pater. It translates roughly as Sky Father. From the Pai root Dius, we get Zeus of classical Greek mythology. From Dai or Tai, we get the Old Norse Tu and the Germanic Zu. And from Dius Pater, we get the Roman Upiter or Jupiter. You see, these high gods stood at the pinnacle of the mythological hierarchy for each of these ancient peoples. They were worshipped as the Most High, as the King of the Gods. And as such, they stood it as a representation of each culture's entire religious tradition. It stands out as important here, not only that many ancient cultures share a common religious origin, but more critically, that the commonality points to the sky. As we've already noted, the infinite expanse of space provides a visual representation of the infinite in material reality. We just look out at it. It doesn't end. When we gaze upon the stars and the endless black, we too feel awe and intuit the transcendent. As such, it is no surprise that the sky would become associated with religious ideas. Now this brings us again to the Pi language and another word, even more ancient, which rests even closer to the origin of the idea of God. This word, div, means to shine, and of course refers to the heavenly bodies, the sun and the stars, which exist in the sky. Div has come down to us in many forms. In English, we see it in words with religious associations, as with the word divine. And in the religion, religions of Asia, we see it in words like the Vedic and Avestan deva. In all these instances, the word originally meant to shine. You see, to our ancient ancestors, God was understood to shine somehow in the way that the stars shine. God was seen to emanate the life-giving power of light, which warms the earth and nourishes its plant and animal life. Thus, many classical high gods, take the Egyptian Ra or the Roman Sol, for instance, were associated with the sun. But in most cases, these high gods were not directly embodied by the sun, and some weren't even associated with it. So what is happening here exactly? What is meant by the descriptor to shine in association with God? To answer this question, let's look at the understanding of div to shine as emergence. You see, just as illumination is seen to emerge from the stars in the sky, which in turn make the cosmos visible, Ancient peoples associated this property with the originating force of being. They saw the cosmos as emergent from God. It was as though the cosmos shines forth from its supernatural origin. As the biblical God proclaimed in the moment of creation, let there be light. Therefore, they used the word div and looked to the sky 
for the experience of the transcendent and for communion with their creator. How strange it is in reflection to see this ancient idea rediscovered in the quest to understand being through science and echoed in the mystic experience. In theoretical physics, we see this articulated by Robert Dykroff of the Institute for Advanced Studies, who proposes, quote, space as we know it emerges from networks of entangled quantum particles, unquote. Just as the supernatural force of being was understood by the ancients as shining forth, both physics and mystic intuition agree. Being emerges from a prematerial state and shines forth. Well, there you have it. That's one avenue explored, but infinitely more still to go. I hope you enjoyed thinking along with us. I know, I know. It's not easy work. Thinking. It's hard and full of uncertainties, but I'm grateful for the company as we trek through this together. Here's to hoping that the juice is worth the squeeze. See what I did there? Let's find out together in the next episode. <laughs>